Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I am your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. Today, we're going to be talking about public and media relations, navigating through crisis, telling your story, and protecting your brand. At the bedrock of each of these things is communication. We will be speaking with a seasoned thought leader, writer, storyteller, problem solver, and relationship builder who advises companies and individuals on these issues and runs his own public relations firm. It is my pleasure to welcome Pat Milheiser to the show. Pat is the founder of Milheiser Public Relations, and he provides solutions by crafting communication plans that balance the needs of any audience. He emphasizes doing the small things right, believing they're essential to maintain credibility and accomplish the big picture. Pat advises clients on media relations, media training, crisis response, rapid response, content creation, public affairs, community outreach, and internal communication. He amplifies your message to get it seen and heard. He's a steady hand when the unexpected happens. Deadlines are fuel and never a roadblock. Prior to opening Milheiser Public Relations, Pat served as Director of Communications for the Cook County Circuit Court and the Office of Chief Judge Timothy Evans. He spent 15 years as a journalist and ended his time in newsrooms, leading the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and Chicago Lawyer Magazine as editor-in-chief. He was the go-to guest for legal affairs on WTTW's Chicago Tonight Week in Review. As a journalist, Pat covered government, politics, law, the courts, business, and crime. He started his newspaper career in college, working at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel while attending Marquette University and at the Chicago Sun-Times while pursuing a master's degree at the University of Illinois at Springfield. He sharpened his understanding of local government at the Rockford Register Star. It is my pleasure to welcome Pat Milheiser to the show. Thank you for having me, Tina. It's great to be here. So, Pat, you and I go back a long way, and I look forward to you sharing with our listeners today about how we got a chance to get to know each other. And I think I've told you this before, and a number of folks know this about me, that if I wasn't a practicing lawyer, I'd probably be doing what you're doing for a living. So I'm always fascinated when we have a chance to connect with each other, and I always learn so much from you during those conversations. So to just give some context to our listeners, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and about your career path? Well, the starting line of my career path began when I was a kid, probably eight or nine years old, and it's the late 1980s. We were a commuting family riding city buses and trains wherever we needed to go. Because for most of my childhood, we didn't have a car. And because of that, we were Sun-Times subscribers. The Chicago Sun-Times has a tabloid style that was just easier to read on the go. And the daily paper left the home every day with my dad, and it came back every night. And these were the days of Michael Jordan on the Bulls and Ryan Sandberg on the Cubs. 
And I read the sports pages in the back of the paper every night after my homework was done. And one day I flipped over to the front page and started reading the local news. I certainly didn't understand most of it and certainly not as well as I knew sports, but I did quickly absorb the concept that there were opinion columnists who were paid to tell people what they think. And that sounded to me like the most amazing job in the world. And really, I think it is. So fast forward to the end of high school, when it came time to start reviewing college brochures, it was like Christmas morning for me when I found one that said I could major in journalism. I did not know that was a thing. And one of the brochures from Marquette University had an excellent communications program. And I ended up going there. I started journalism 001 immediately my first semester freshman year. And by my sophomore year, I was working as a newsroom messenger at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And I was handling these uh, job task uh, relics now, uh, like sorting mail for the new <laughs> staff and running faxes around the newsroom. I don't and even know that, if some people know what a fax is. <laughs> uh, yes, there were these machines that made a lot of noise through phone lines uh, that uh, would uh, spit out press releases, people you would fax letters to the editor that way, and somebody would have to retype the letter instead of doing a copy and paste like we do today. Uh, so yeah, and mail. You'd be, you'd be stunned at how much mail newspapers received. And this was in the late 90s. Wow. Uh, and there was a ton of it, buckets and buckets of letters every single day of promotional items uh, from PR companies, letters from readers. You just wouldn't believe the amount of envelopes that had to be slotted uh, in, 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 in the, the cubbies every single morning. And fortunately, I, that, that job, I got to know everybody at the paper in all sections of the paper, and, and I, I loved it. And, and it turned into an offer to cover suburban village board meetings and suburban library meetings, park board meetings, things like that. And, and then that turned into a, a stint as a part-time and full-time cops reporter. So I had a lot of fun in college and had a wonderful experience, but I did, I did sacrifice a lot of the social aspect to work at least three nights a week from 4.30 p.m. to 1.30 a.m. Uh, chasing the tragedies and mayhem that happened in big American cities. Uh, so I would be at murder scenes when the mothers arrived to find their sons laying in the street. I was there when families lost everything in a fire or when a little boy uh, was hit by a car. Uh, heavy, heavy stuff. And heavy stuff that I don't think I can handle now as a parent and just an adult who understands the gravity of these tragedies a little more than I did 20 years ago. But that is newspaper work. And that is the beat that young reporters commonly got their start doing because you learn how to report and write quickly on deadline. And after I graduated from Marquette, I, I left the paper and I went to the University of Illinois at Springfield and enrolled in the public affairs reporting program, which is a wonderful program. If you ever know anybody who's studying journalism and they're not sure what they're going to do after graduating, uh, UIS has, has a great program for them to look into. You get a master's degree 
in two semesters and you spend that second semester interning for a media outlet in the Illinois State House. I got the Sun-Times internship, which was huge personally for me since it's mm -hmm. the paper I grew up in. Uh, my parents were seeing my name in the very same paper that still comes through the front door every day uh, today as well. And anybody who follows Illinois politics, you'll appreciate the following because you know where they all ended up. I was in the Capitol covering the legislature when George Ryan was governor. Rod Blagojevich won the Democratic gubernatorial primary. And a state senator named Barack Obama was on a first name basis with everybody in the press room and was a regular visitor to our press room office in the Capitol. Those were the so, days, huh? <laughs> oh, just a wonderful just a wonderful experience. And you, you really get to see the legislative process up close. And, and you're working with, at that time, amazing journalists from news outlets uh, all, all over the state. And, and after that, I spent four years covering county government at the Rockford Register Star, about 90 miles northwest of Chicago. I came home to work at the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin in 2006 and spent nine years there the last three as the editor of both the Law Bulletin and Chicago Lawyer Magazine. And that, of course, is how you and I met. And I yes. became a big fan of your Inside Out column. And uh, you have tons of perspective from that column that I certainly appreciate uh, uh, with, with what I'm doing today, uh, especially the, the business of law, I think, is very relatable to the business of anything. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a lot of value there. And then in 2015, after 15 years in newspapers, I left journalism and went to work as director of communications for the 400 judges of the Circuit Court of Cook County and Chief Judge Tim Evans. And last year, I started my own PR shop, and I spend the majority of my time working with clients as they navigate the Chicago media landscape. My specialty is media relations and crisis communications, and I tell people I can handle just about any matter that involves messaging and audiences. And my, my experience is my strength. I have insight as a reporter who covered just about everything related to local government and courts. I know what it takes to run a newsroom as an editor-in-chief and put staff in the right positions uh, to grow a newspaper subscriber base. Uh, at the same time, we're winning lots of awards. And I've spent five years behind the scenes of one of the largest justice systems in the world, involved in most high-level matters and securing positive coverage for the court, while also working through conflicts that naturally arise in a county that, like everywhere else in Illinois, has multiple elected executives running various parts of the court system. So that's, uh, that's how I got to where I am today and, and, and working with people on just navigating uh, the media and things that they may want to try to accomplish uh, through the news media. Well, you know, you, I have such great respect for you. You're really wise beyond your years. I mean, obviously you've been doing various facets of media, communications, journalism for a long time. You really have a wisdom that is, is very evident from the way in which you communicate with people and the storytelling 
that you do. And I think that your career could have gone in any number of directions based on the experiences that you've had. What made you decide that in the last few months since you've started your your own PR firm, what made you decide that this was directionally what you wanted to do right now? The the main decision, uh, the, the main factor in the decision was just a need for something I think I first learned about from you in your Inside Out column, which is work-life balance. And and you were probably talking about that before most of the world was talking about it. And I just, I, I have two small kids. I love this work. I love media relations. I, I enjoy crisis communications, even though it's it can be very, very challenging work. But when you're working for, uh, especially the public sector, but really any entity doing that, it's hard to be on those, what I'll call a 24-7 schedule when you have uh, two small kids at home. So I was just trying to find out what can I, what, what, what's the thing I need to control the most? And the thing I needed to control the most in my life is time. So how can I control my time and still do the things that I love? Because the work is really what I love. And, 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 and the answer became evidently clear. Well, I need to jump out of the airplane with no parachute and, uh, <laughs> start my own business and see what happens. And it was as exhilarating as it was frightening. Uh, and and I, I, I started thinking about it about a year ago. But once you, once you, uh, you know, uh, start working with clients, and once you start doing the work again, it, it really all comes naturally. Because you're you, I, I understand that media relations is truly an art. And it requires strong instinct, sound news judgment, and years of experience. That's what I have. And those are my guides. And when I'm, when I'm meeting with someone, you know, it's, it's the most important things in this PR client relationship is risk and control. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but right as I say those two words, uh, risk and control, I should be crystal clear here. I do not and would never pretend to control the press. The only people who control the media are the people who work in the media. So just by its nature, media relations always presents a higher level of risk than control. So the deck is never stacked in your favor. It is delicate work for sure. And, and having to do it, being on a 24-7 schedule when you're doing this, can the, the stress level uh, can really rise. But, but when you're working in this space, there are always actions that I can recommend that will reduce risk to my client and maintain as much control as is reasonably possible over how our messaging is portrayed to the public and so, so no matter what I'm doing, risk and control are always on my mind. They're always part of the discussion. And it must be because whether the media attention is wanted or not, risk and control are always present. And I approach it with precision and strategy. It's, it's like being a poker player. And just like a poker player, I don't choose my cards. The cards are chosen by the client. And whatever is happening in reality that maybe the client controls or does not control. 
And facts and reality will always dictate how strong the client's message will be, but there are steps the client can take before, during, and after a media engagement that will ensure that you can always say we're playing our best possible hand. And when I'm working with people who understand that, and when I'm working in the environment that I'm in now where I have my own shop and I have a little bit more control over my time, I am truly able to say that I, I enjoy my work and I, and I love my work. And, and I would say all of those factors contributed uh, to me being where I am now. Well, great. So I'm sure that the audience would love to hear how what you just referenced, you know, the whole issue of risk and control. Let's explore that a little bit more and explore hypothetical, for example. So let's say that um, you're either a law firm or a company. And for example, clients in the public, they want these folks to know that they're more than just a company or a law firm. They want to get the news out that they're a good corporate citizen. And maybe they want to get that coverage through a news outlet that they know will be a meaningful channel for that message to reach the general public rather than many of the niche publications that are out there that cover various law firms and companies. So how does this all play out? How do you work with a company or a law firm to do that? Well, first, I love those stories. I love when I'm working with somebody where uh, their mission is bigger than the work. And you might come to me and say, hey, for the last couple of years, we've been donating backpacks and school supplies to a public school at the end of the summer so that the kids have new stuff to start the school year. And then maybe we followed up with a winter coat and boot drive in the fall to ensure parents who otherwise cannot afford these Midwest necessities have what they need uh, for the kids to protect them from Chicago winters. This is a great story that deserves coverage because it's promoting the public good, and it may encourage other law firms or corporate clients to do the same thing. And there's absolutely a need for good deeds like that. And some reporters uh, may pass on these stories, uh, but there are plenty who will do them. And I personally always enjoyed writing those stories as a reporter because you can truly see how something we take for granted is a necessity to those in need. The kid's face has told the story better than I ever could. And it's just great uplifting video and photos and it's news the public wants. People want good news. So that's kind of like a starting point when you're doing this work, you have news that the audience wants. But in, in PR, I cannot successfully pitch that story unless we line up a family in advance who will talk about what the backpack and the coat means to them. Uh, so there are some pieces we need to prepare in advance for the story that will enable me to pitch a strong story that will get attention. This sounds so easy, but you'd be surprised at how difficult this can be to get done sometimes. And, and when the difficulty does arise, uh, one of the things I always preach, and I preach this as, as an editor at the newspaper, is we got to do the small things right or the big things won't matter. Here, the big thing is this major backpack and coat drive that you're organizing. 
The small thing is securing the voice of the family who's benefiting from this that the press needs to be able to tell the story about this initiative. And, and this is something you don't even have to take my word for, that it is absolutely crucial. I, would, I had a client who was sitting down with a TV station last month for a story about a prominent new hire that the organization made. And uh, the CEO started talking about what this community organization does, providing legal and social services in the community. And uh, a producer at the station was immediately interested in a follow-up story and simply said, we want to do this. We just need a client who they help. So we got them a client who they helped, found one who was willing to go on camera, use their full name, share their story. And the station came out the following week to do another story about the organization, uh, my client. So they're, here, here's an example where they're literally getting two bites of the same apple. They were just announcing a prominent hire. You get a story on that prominent hire. And then that engagement turns into a full story on this uh, community organization. So back to backpacks and winter coats, mm -hmm. uh, once we have all of our pieces lined up, we have the backpacks and the coats secured, we have the time and the date of delivery to the school, we ensure that the children and parents will be there, we have a family ready to talk to the press, we have one person from the law firm or, or the corporate entity who will serve as the voice uh, for the company. And we have a representative from the school who will talk about what it means for all of the kids and for the school in general. Now we are ready to pitch this story and the event will happen. We'll all feel the joy of the moment. That's my favorite part. Mm -hmm. And the press will show up and the story will run and it'll be great. And it will feel like I controlled the story and gave you this great outcome. But I really didn't control the story. I controlled what we needed in the pitch, and we got the story that we wanted. So risk and control is definitely going to be, a, those two things are going to be a theme throughout our conversation today. You've just uh, really gone into the nitty gritty of what control looks like and what it really means and what it doesn't necessarily mean in the context of what you do. You've also mentioned risk. And we, I think, all sort of know what you mean when you say that. And I think more often than not, people associate risk with something that's wrong here, right? Something that's going bad. So in the context of what you do, people may associate risk more with like crisis communications, for example, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But is there risk in these positive story pitches? And maybe they're actually... The risk is actually more significant if people don't acknowledge in the circumstances that it even exists. So why don't you tell us a little bit about whether risk exists, even when you're trying to tell a positive story? A a absolutely. And most clients don't expect this part of it. And of course, you wouldn't for the very reason you just said, wait, this is the positive story. How can there be risk? But this example we just uh, discussed, getting all the story pieces in place for a positive story pitch to a media outlet maximizes our ability to control the outcome and reduces the risk here that we won't get any coverage. So we, we're doing our controls and that properly reduces the risk for the negative outcome. Well, wait, we're not getting any coverage of this. And in the, in the backpacks and coats example, 
I controlled who we shopped it to because, for example, there are local TV stations. They have standing weekly segments about people doing good or someone you should know that are perfect for this. And another thing we controlled is whether we would shop it to one outlet or uh, whether we would do a press release in advance and invite uh, all the press or any local reporter who wants to show up. These sort of examples, these positive stories that we're trying to do, most of the time, I'm, I'm reducing the risk of the negative outcome that we don't get coverage for it by recommending a targeted pitch to one outlet. And in this case, probably TV news so that you get one nice two-minute story that tells all the pieces, gives you a web link to share throughout your firm with clients on social media. And uh, the risk with like a press release or you know inviting everybody to come is you lose a ton of control and you greatly increase your risk for that outcome of no coverage uh, or kind of spotty coverage that you don't really get like the the nice link, uh, nice big story to share with people because now you don't know what news outlets are coming. You don't know how much of the story they will tell. You don't know who they're going to want to talk to. They may be fine showing up talking to the uh, family and to the principal, but maybe it's like, well, we'll mention the law firm, but we don't need to talk to the lawyer. And you don't know whether it'll be a complete story or just a 15 second mention at the end of the six o'clock news. And those 15 second blurbs don't get the web links that you can share on social. And so that would be a negative outcome. We do Mm -hmm. all this work. We have a wonderful event that we all love, but a key component of it was, hey, we're, we want to let people know we're doing this. And, and now we're literally stuck in the old fashioned, hey, did you catch it at the end of the six o'clock news? And it's just not the way things work these days. So for something like this, doing a targeted pitch to a TV station that can really tell this story, is a, that's a good bet. They'll probably ask me, is anyone else coming, meaning any other reporters? And once I say no then I know we're putting ourselves in the best position to get the result we want. They will like having the story all to themselves. And now you might get a two to three minute piece out of it uh, that you'll have really forever. So we're rapidly approaching the end of our first segment. And so as a natural corollary to what you just said, um, and to really touch upon and further elaborate on something you were saying earlier about preparation. I thought I would wind down our first segment with you by asking you the question about when you do successfully secure that news outlet in a targeted pitch or any type of press engagement. You mentioned Ryan Sandberg and Mike and Michael Jordan earlier as being two, you know, pivotal news stories as you were growing up and same same for me. I'm a few years older than you, but remember those days well. And the art and finesse of making something that is really difficult look so simple and how deceiving it can be sometimes in the making of something look easy and simple. The fact that sometimes there is all this stuff that goes on behind the scenes that enable you and your clients to to make it look easy. So why don't you let our listeners know with a little bit more granularity what you need to do to prepare to get the results that you are trying to get either for your clients or if we we are the client sometimes 
what do you do to prepare to get the results that you seek in news coverage, whatever it may be? Well, I'm I'm so glad you brought that up, and uh, you know, mentioning you're absolutely dead on with like the examples of uh, Jordan and Sandberg because those are people you would see on the news every day, effortlessly talking about what they do for a living, and it's effortless for them because they've done it for years and years on a daily basis. It's part of their job. For most of the people I work with. Media is definitely not a daily part of the job, so it's there. It's not routine. You don't have those reflexive muscles to just do it. So, absolutely, preparation is crucial. I always want to schedule a prep session with a client, and it may only be thirty minutes. It probably won't be more than an hour, and there may be things that we identify that maybe we need to sleep on for a day or two, and then we regroup for one last quick prep session before the media arrives. But the bottom line is we should always do prep and never skip prep. It's, it's a warm-up for those mental muscles that we need. You'll present better if you fire up these mental muscles, get comfortable saying the talking points that we have, commit them to memory and work on tone and emphasis of words. I, I actually recommend writing good ideas, talking points down immediately when they pop in your head or my head, because too often they pop in and they pop right out. Right. And, when, and, and if, it's, if it's storytelling we have to do, if we have to say how we got to the event that we're at today, you tell it chronologically. It's always best for the audience's attention and understanding. So that's something we'll just literally practice and it's you know it's no different than firing up muscles with an exercise band before a workout you get stronger you're more confident you're ready for any unexpected curveballs uh, that could come our way and the prep sessions are also a way to gain a sense of how often somebody says uh like you know and other filler words or maybe sometimes you end your points with uh you know what i mean <laughs> and i don't know if some <laughs> Some thought leader said this is a good idea because I do hear that quite a bit, but there's, there's really nothing more irritating in a media interview because if you can't make your points clearly and you have to ask the inter if the interviewer knows what you mean, we definitely need to prep. Um, you know, or it can just come off as a conversation control move to say, I understand what I'm talking about, but you may not. And that's probably not anybody's intention. And this is also important because all of the filler, all of the word vomit, it actually hurts the audience's perception of your confidence and credibility, which ultimately affects your trustworthiness. And, and another thing that can happen that we can prep for is maybe you don't like a question you're asked and you respond to that by, you know, maybe, maybe you say the interviewer's name and your responses because you're a little irritated by the question. And then it's confrontational. And then they're probably going to start the next question with your name, and it's going to be a hardball that you might not be ready for. And, and there can always be hardball questions, even in nice stories, uh, that the interviewer will be holding discretion on whether to ask. And if you fire them up, it's coming. So skipping prep can spark regret, and, and we don't want that. And it's worth, it's worth the 30 minutes to an hour to do the exercise so that when we when we successfully place the story, you are happy with it, you're proud of it, you want to share it with people. 
And so that the wonderful positive event that we have stays positive because there can be questions that come up that really, you know, are hard to anticipate or, or I can anticipate them. I can anticipate sometimes an awkward thing that might get asked. Mm-hmm. And as long as the person who I'm talking with has knows that something like that can be coming, their response is, is going to really uh, dial that down and lower the temperature and not make it more awkward than, than the question is. So, yeah, I, I love prep. It's not always, it's, you, you know, it's one of those things where sometimes I have to press for it, but, uh, but I absolutely do because it's so valuable uh, to, to the end game uh, of, of getting the story published or aired. Well, and it's also, especially for those communications that are done in person or even by Zoom, which we've been having to do a lot of the last 16 months of the pandemic, I would imagine that a lot of your coaching and guidance isn't just on the message itself, but it's also on things like voice inflection and body language and things like that. Do you want to take a moment to comment on that? Yeah, absolutely. I would... um... Body language, especially, I, I, the thing that people do naturally that also a prep session can work on is, is you don't want to be talking with your hands, right? It can be a little too animated and it just doesn't, it doesn't always look great on camera. And, and we have our, you know, talking points are always written up. But, you know, there, there's, there's emphasis on words um, that, that can be made and tone and things that are just so important that you want to say them a few times so that you're comfortable with them. I mean, especially for anyone who has any theater training or acting training, you know, memorizing your lines is powerful and memorizing how you say your lines is, is even more powerful. So yeah, so absolutely. Uh, it's you getting in a calm state, not talking with your body. And when it comes to Zoom, I mean, we've all read these tips on how to, you know, how you present your background. It's like, you know, just make sure the uh, the, the lights not behind you, right? You had the, right. the lights. You, you want to be looking at the light so it's lighting you up, not blinding uh, the person who's interviewing you, which is something none of us knew walking into this, but now hopefully uh, more and more we're, we're becoming more aware of it. Pat, I've learned so much from you just in the last 25 minutes, and I'm sure our listeners have as well. And I'm really looking forward to the second part of our conversation. And so as we wind down our first segment together, do you have any final thoughts and where can our listeners find you? Listeners can find me at millheiserpublicrelations.com. And my Twitter handle is at Pat Millheiser, M-I-L-H-I-Z-E-R. And I'm also on LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, in terms of final thoughts, I, I think it's just a matter of when you're, whenever you're working with a, with a PR consultant, you know, it's, it's a, it's a matter of appreciating that what they do makes it look easy. They, they, they do what they do and they make it look easy, but what makes it easiest is open lines of communication between me and the client. So obviously you got to go in there with a level of trust and, just being really open about what your feelings are, 
about what you're trying to do. And sometimes that can be hard for people to do. It can be hard to admit you're a little nervous about it, but admitting that is what opens the doors to getting, getting rid of it. And, and also just making sure, you know, this is all an art, but, but asking them what to expect, what's, what's the process so that they're, you know, we talked, I talk about minimizing risk and I know we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, but it's also minimize, you know, minimizing the surprises. That's, that's always important because I never want a client to get a bad surprise during something. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm usually pretty cognizant of over preparing to the point where maybe they think they don't need to be hearing all of it. And then you get live in the moment with the media and it's like, oh yeah, okay. That did come up. I'm glad we talked about that in advance. So my, my final thought would be all lawyers know preparation is key to everything they do. And so anytime you're doing media, it is just as key to whatever court case you have or whatever legal matter you're trying to resolve out of court. Pat, thank you so much for your sage advice and your wisdom. And I'm really looking forward to the second part of our conversation. Sounds great. Me too. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you've enjoyed part one of our conversation with Pat Milheiser and that you will join us next week for part two of our conversation. I am your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.